so a lot of times in interactions and social settings, we like to uh, to take the emphasis off the negative aspect of it. We like to soften the message that we're sending, right? So we we add these words that that diminish the meaning of the primary message we're trying to send. So, so instead of they, suck, it's uh, yeah, you know, I, I I can see you're struggling. You know, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you try this a little bit, you know, I think you really He's even adopting to, the posture. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Small Business Safari, where I help guide you to avoid those traps, pitfalls, and dangers that lurk when navigating the wild world of small business ownership. I'll share those gold nuggets of information and invite guests to help accelerate your ascent to that mountaintop of success. It's a jungle out there, and I want to help you traverse through the levels of owning your own business that can get you bogged down and distract you from hitting your own personal and professional goals. So strap in, Adventure Team, and let's take a ride through the safari and get you to the mountaintop. Welcome back to the Small Business Safari. We are getting ready to lock in, lock in a load, because if you are topical listening to this, we got Hurricane Ian bearing down in Atlanta. Okay, not really, but it, it sounds like that way. We feel like we're more important than everybody else. Well, you know, if you get just a little bit of wind and a little bit of rain, you're like, oh my God, Hurricane Ian got me. It might oh my mess God. up my tea time. <laughs> it definitely, well, it's messed up yeah. my ball game. They're, they're talking about moving the Mets-Braves game. The the one that I have the tickets they can. for. The division is on the line i know this is so key i can't believe this oh that's right we got a podcast let's get back to it (laughs) today we got david bremen dave do you go by dave or david uh usually david all right david it is how about david no do that too (laughs) chris Chris just went on another yet another vacation to barcelona and so he's trying to put a little continental flair on on things like your name thank you yeah no, we have David Raymond here, and uh, we're excited to talk because he has been in the franchising world for a long time. Has seen, he's seen a lot. He's done a lot. I'm he excited. Can, he can obviously opine about a lot. Oh, nice and word. You, get a, you, you get like that? that? You get a new book? I wrote that down. Good job. Um, so I could put that in my book, my next book, because the first book wasn't enough. David, thank you so much for coming, and cheers. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. And David is drinking with us. Today, we're calling it Taco Tuesday from Monday Night Brewing. But David brought his own. Well, it's the name of the beer you said you had. Um, M43. Uh, it's an India Pale Ale from New Orthodox. So I'm assuming it. Well, I know it's a Virginia brewery. It's the first time I've had it. So a uh, coworker of mine got it for me as a you're for his one year sh- anniversary. You're up in Charlottesville. And That's correct. I uh, went on a college tour there this last year with my son, but my nephew's a UVA grad. My brother in law's a UVA grad. That is a great little town, and it's surrounded by these breweries and wineries it's oh, yeah. got a lot going on fun place oh, yeah. to be absolutely great way to spend a saturday afternoon yeah nice all right so david obviously you've had a long history of uh, things you've done um took a look a little bit on linkedin a little stalking as it were <laughs> uh to find out what's going on so i could sit there and look at what linkedin was but how about this where the hell are you from and how the hell did you get here <laughs> sure that's an interesting story um so i uh Grew up in New York. Uh, at 10 years old, I entered foster care, moved out to Long Island. So 10 years in the city, 10 years on Long Island. Graduated high school, really wasn't ready for college. Uh, so I had a little, needed a little structure. So I went into the Marine Corps, which is notorious for providing said structure. Well done. Yeah, I was an armored vehicle crewman, M1 Abrams. That was uh, yeah, 93 to 97. Um, got out. I knew. Thank you for I, your service. Oh, yeah, man. Well, awesome. I drove a tank. I mean, which is awesome. <laughs> oh, my, dude. I mean, you yeah, could have been, I, you know, repairman or whatever, janitor, right. but you drove a tank. A tank. Yes. Yeah. Best job in the world. Um, while, you, while you were busy out <laughs> driving beer bongs and chasing chicks on the weekend, he's out there protecting your ass. Yeah. We drive plenty a of that, tank. Dude. Yeah, we, there, yeah, there was no shortage of beer bombs or uh, chicks. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, well, well said, Marine. <laughs> uh, so, but um, recognized pretty quick. Uh, the same thing that drove me to the Marine Corps was going to be the same thing that drove me out. Uh, too much, too much structure. Um, I like to think back that I was entrepreneurial. 
Um, so you, you didn't have favorite. enough structure and then you got too much structure. So now yeah, well, the problem all along was that I just don't like structure. So uh, <laughs> uh, whether you need it or not, right? <laughs> so, not. so that's where you found it out. You're like, you yeah, know what? Yeah. I think I got a little too much structure. So how many years did it take you for to, to find out that you had too much structure? Uh, about so I, I got out in 97 in the Marine Corps. I fiddled around for two or three years, different jobs. Um, at one point, I was an auto mechanic at Penske Auto Centers. Um, I worked in an optics company, uh, growing laser crystals that go in medical and industrial and DOD type lasers. And these were all great jobs with great futures, but um, I just couldn't deal with corporate bureaucracy and the, the you know, I'm, a, I'm kind of a results guy. And ultimately, when you're when you're in those organizations, it's more often about who you're getting along with and, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, in 2002, my cousin. Um, my cousin-in-law, I guess, started a garage door business in Florida um, and hired me as his uh, third technician. Um, and that was kind of the whole introduction of home business, home service business, and also frame uh, home service business and small business. So um, it was, you know, four rednecks in Florida with pickup truck and some tools. And we just went out and made it happen. Fast forward 12 years into the future. I'm a general manager for a $6 million garage door business. He lives in Charleston, two states away. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was great. I made more money fixing garage doors than ever. Um, and it was perfect for me that, you know, it was very entrepreneurial. So, and entirely results driven. Uh, I'm sure all of your entrepreneurs can say the same thing. You know, there's very little room for bureaucracy in a small business, right? It's, it's, you, you're, you're doing cash, you know, checking account banking and, you know, that's your, that's your P and L and you, you got to make sure you're bringing in more money than you're spending. And so it's, it's Sell very, 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 yeah, it's very Sell immediate. Like, you know pretty quick if what you're doing is working or if it isn't. Um, probably, the, probably my most important question, going back to the days um, in Florida, as you were starting up your garage door business, uh, did you have a mullet? <laughs> um, no, actually, for a while, I I, I, I gotta continued to rock. Like I, I continued to rock the uh, Marine Corps haircut. Um, oh, come on. You didn't go yeah. full on like Corp Lieutenant Dan? <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, part of it, too, is I, I, you know, I don't really grow hair. <laughs> well, uh, we we can. Um, this is one where we identify as not hair growers. <laughs> he still, he well. still has way more than we do. <laughs> he does, too. Oh right. God. Yeah. It All would right. Be a, it'd be a very interesting looking mullet. Let's let's go with that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So now then. Uh, 2015, I left the, his business. Um, I kind of figured out that I was just going to end up being an old garage door guy. Um, I'd been at, the, been at it for 12 years. I learned a lot of great lessons. Um, I had this interesting objective. I wanted to be a business coach for small business owners. Um, I thought with all of my experience, I'm sure there were other owners out there struggling and could learn a lot from what I had to offer. Uh, but what I recognized pretty quick was uh, struggling small businesses can't afford you. And equity in a failing business doesn't pay a mortgage. And uh, the business owners that had it figured out were doing well, really didn't look to consulting in the in the immediate sense. And I, I could have built a client base over a long enough period of time, but um, yeah, I needed something quicker. It's really a sad state of affairs. The people who it need is. you can't afford you and the people who can afford you don't need you. Don't need you. And uh, so during the search, I actually stumbled across uh, franchise business consulting. So. Um, this is a role in franchising where some operator like me provides consulting to new franchise owners. So these are individuals that came from corporate America, rarely had any experience with small business ownership or management. And so they're learning how to operate their business from you know the day they begin as a franchisee. So it immediately made my skills highly valuable. So it was a great opportunity. I took it. Uh, it was with a company called College Hunks Hauling Junk and Moving in Tampa. Um, you know, I really commend uh, those guys, Nick and Omar. Um, you know, they took a flyer on me. It was just some redneck garage door guy with no college education. Um, and uh, no rednecks in New York. <laughs> well, this was in Florida. He's in Florida, <laughs> bro. <laughs> he just adopted oh, being a redneck, dude. He well, you can't. The you state can't, line. Yeah, you can't. You got a tramp stamp and call yourself a tattoo or a uh, yeah. Next, next most important question is, how big was the lift on your four by four? Um, so a little bit. I think it was a four inch on the on the the last truck. Nice. It, on my last truck, I kept it stock because you you outgrow that. But the first two trucks I had in the industry, I went crazy with, just like every other contractor. You know, putting rims on it, putting stereo in it. It's like you forget it's a work truck. Nice. My third truck, I was like, no, nope, this one's bare bones. It's gonna be, you know, the the WT model. 
two wheel drive just needs to get my, my, my tools and supplies back and forth to the job. So, uh, but yeah, I was uh, 20 years in Florida. We'll, we'll, in the trades, we'll convert just about anyone into, uh, see, an I got it down. I got yeah. this down. I knew it. I didn't even ask if he did. I just knew he did. I just wanted to know how many inches was on the lift. <laughs> <laughs> I had that. It was not in, a bro. yes or no. It was a how much. Oh, question. just how many. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, college hunks. Let's. Uh, so you're out there. Look. Uh, well, there's so much to unpack on that one. You're right. Um, when I was a struggling business owner, uh, as I was getting started, if you would have came to me and said, uh, "You need some coaching," I'd be like, "Sure. How much?" And you'd be, I mean pick a number over 500 bucks and it would have been too much. And you're right. We, we can't do it. And by the time right. you get to a spot where you can, you're like, well, I don't need you now. Yeah. You I kind of kind of figured out. You ain't none. You ain't, you don't got enough for me. What you doing for me? You know, right. So mm -hmm. that's the hard part. And uh, as we uh, talk about that and evolve as business owners, you can't have that mindset. You've got to actually invest in yourself and your company, but it is the beauty of franchising. Cause that's baked in. So it's baked in. Yeah. It has to be um, because the learning, the interesting thing about franchising that is very different because I had to learn it both ways. I grew up in a small business. I mean, you know, we didn't have uh, we we leaned on other businesses like ours, but not exactly like ours. So I had buddies that were in contracting that did something other than garage doors. So like when we were going through the housing crisis in 07, 08. There was a window company we talked to. There was a pool company we talked to. I, I'm talking to other contractors to try to get a sense, you know, what are you guys doing to cope? What do you, how are you, how are you going to make it through this, 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 these headwinds? I couldn't call up another garage or company and go, Hey, what are you guys doing? Are you going to increase your, you know, pay-per-click? What, what's, what's the answer here? So you end up creating the network. But the interesting thing about franchising is, is you have those owners that are alongside you that are running the exact same business model. They're not competitors, but they're encountering all the same challenges. And the, the franchisor has built a model that works. So if you think of like a small business owner growing and scaling their business, it's a much longer learning curve and they're growing as they're learning. So they learn how to do, they learn how to provide the service, right? So they go out and they do that until they can't grow anymore. And then they have to learn the next thing, which is, okay, now how do I market my business? And so I'm gonna go ahead and learn how to do that. And then I'm gonna, I am gonna grow. And now all of a sudden I have a new challenge where I have to learn how to scale. I need subordinate leadership. I have to create culture and accountability and responsibility. And Oh my God, now I'm running a cash at too many salaries. So I got to learn how to, manage my cash flows better. And for the first time in my life, I'm going to look at a PL and go, oh my God, what is all this stuff in here? Right. So you go through those things. And, and if you get it right over a period of time, like we did, you grow and you become a large business in your community. In franchising, all that stuff's figured out. So the only constraint is you. Right. You're the only person holding the business back. The marketing plan's figured out, the ops plan's figured out, all your software is laid out. Everything's there for you. You paid for it, you bought it. But you have to learn how to use all of that stuff. And it's like being fired out of a rocket. So when you're a franchisee, not only do you not have the luxury of that long because your franchisee is is the fees and, and the structure is somewhat corrosive to the learning. If you take too long to learn, you won't survive long enough to be successful. And so you have this like being shot out of a cannon. So you have to have coaches and 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 consultants that can help you accelerate that learning curve because you won't make it if it takes you the normal length of time to learn. And in a lot of cases, I tell my franchise owners, look, you don't need to understand. You just need to do it. Just do it. And, it, you know, pretend you're at church and I'm telling you, you got to leave a sinless life. You don't need to understand why you can't do the things you do. I just need you to understand that if you do these things the way I prescribe it, you'll be successful. Uh, so I that's kind of the. I think your New York and military background really probably come in handy in this oh, yeah. role. Because uh, I, I have a bit of a background in franchising. And what I do know is you've got people who are not used to being told what to do who have the money to buy a franchise. Right. And then they say, yeah, I'll go ahead and operate with this within this defined box until they mm -hmm. sign the documents. And then they want to take it in whatever direction was their area of expertise in the corporate world. And so right. it's your job to bat them back into the box. Mm -hmm. And the hardest part, again, these are successful people. Right. Like they, they don't, you don't, you don't get to this place in most cases by not stringing together a long career of good decision making and great experiences. And in many cases, that actually is it, it's antithetical to what you're trying to accomplish. Oh, there's a big word. Dude, actually, I don't even see. know what that was. I was writing that word down. He <laughs> said antithetical. <laughs> it's it's you know they're they're I trying to Chris they're trying to down. apply things they learned from corporate America to small business. Like I can't tell you how many times a new business owner he's got two employees and he wants an employee handbook. I'm like, dude, go talk to him. 
Right. You, know I mean? <laughs> you got right. two guys. Go out there and talk to them. Yeah. Here's your handbook. Yeah. Go tell them, hey, <laughs> dude, don't a- do that anymore. Yeah. You get a site policy if one of them comes in late. Like you got two guys. You got to you got to make it work. Like. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Hey, what's our policy on uh, guys who show up late? Um, we say, well, not right now. We say, hey, uh, get in here as fast as you can. But back in the day, it'd be like, you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's my policy. <laughs> show up or don't get paid. So, New so there's a lot of that. And right. uh, so, so you yeah, went to College Hunks. Uh, big change for you. You talked mm-hmm. to these guys. Um, I know a little bit about the, oh, I actually know quite a bit about the group just because of the guys I know locally. I know great owners. And you, you said shout out to them already. You go there and you started working with them on what capacity and doing what? So just as a franchise business consultant, uh, that was the title of the role. Uh, other com- They're called operations coaches and some other organizations, but it's essentially the primary point of contact for the franchisee. At the time, so, how many did they have? Uh, I believe the number was somewhere around 55, 60 locations. Um, so you, average unit volume was somewhere You were responsible for coaching 55 of these franchise locations. No, I picked up about 30. 30. Um, well, that's still yeah. a hefty number, bro. Yeah. I mean, that's big. Um, the, if you're familiar with franchising, the numbers actually don't. They, they work out differently. So at any given moment, you're going to have 10 to 15% of the system that has got a pretty good handle on things and they don't want to hear from you. Then you're going to have 10 to 15% at the other end of the spectrum that have completely disengaged and are not receptive to coaching. So even though you might have 30 to 40 locations that you're coaching, the chances of you actually interacting with all of them is, is pretty low. So you'll end up somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25 active owners who are engaging you and across the spectrum, some once a month, some maybe once a week. So you got into that role. I, what I'm interested in, so there you basically had a built-in coaching practice too. Correct. So you've got these 30 people and you just said, well, or three of them aren't going to work with me and three of them uh, don't want to work with me because they don't need me anymore. Mm-hmm. As you as you learned, what were some of the traits you saw of the successful guys or the six, ladies, whoever? Nice, nice yeah. uh Catch Chris. I think the the most interesting thing I've experienced with entrepreneurs <laughs> is uh you have to be incredibly stubborn to be a successful entrepreneur because everybody in your life is going to tell you to quit. And you and if you listen, you'll quit long before you're successful. But at the same time, successful entrepreneurs have this knack for discarding bad ideas when confronted with a better one. They 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 don't set this emotional attachment to some idea that they've created. Um, and I've seen that in successful owners. They're, they're, they're incredibly resolute on their success. They are going to be successful. They'll do whatever it takes to be successful, but they are not married to their ideas. So the moment they encounter something that makes more sense than what they're currently doing, and they almost seek it, it's almost a different mindset. They're constantly questioning what they're doing, not from the sense of, I'm, I want to quit this thing, but constantly to validate that this is the correct thing I should be doing. More, more self-awareness. That, correct. Yeah, that would be a great description. And um, then a high level of personal accountability. They just, they understand that the buck stops with them. They're, they're not blaming their franchisor. They're not blaming their vendors. They wake up every, other, every day concerned with what they can do to drive the success in their business. Yeah, you just hit on one that I want to talk about. Uh, but before I get there, uh, David... You, you can't tell Alan that he has great ideas or great points. Just, <laughs> We're keeping we, a tally. We keep store. And right now I, I just, I'm losing bad. All right. <laughs> you, 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 you hit on that. I want to get back to that. So as you're working with these guys, you know, self-aware, they got to, they got to get back after it and they right. got to be, they got to figure out where they're going. Right. Mm-hmm. But you've got to help them get there. Correct. And so talk a little bit about how you, how do you do that? I mean, you're coaching, you're consulting. God, it's got to be hard. In man. franchising, it's a pretty fine line because you can't tell them what to do. They're, you can't be managing. Right. Yeah. You got to get them to want to do it. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's where my experience is an NCO. Like, I don't really have a problem telling you when your shit's jacked up. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say stuff like that, but you well, know, we are explicit. And so you just hit, you just hit one of my hot buttons. Well, hello. Let's go. All right. Now we're rocking. Yep. So it's an NCO. You can tell them, Hey man, dude, that's jacked. You can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you point out where they're failing and you, the, the one thing I've learned is to take out the, so a lot of times in interactions and social settings, we like to, uh, 
to take the emphasis off the negative aspect of it. We like to soften the message that we're sending, right? So we, we add these words that that diminish the meaning of the primary message we're trying to send. So, so instead of they, suck, it's... Uh... Yeah, you know, I, I I can see you're struggling. You know, if you, if, you, if you try this a little bit, you know, I think you really He's even adopting to... the posture. Yeah. And I and I think the reality is 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 you know when you're dealing with business owners because because the world's not going to cut them a break, whether they're a franchisee or or an independent entrepreneur. Like you're not helping them by softening the message. In fact, you're just setting them up to learn it from somebody who's more likely to tell them the truth, which is the market. The market's not going to lie to them. The market doesn't care point. that their kid's sick. The market doesn't care that they're having problems in their marriage. The market doesn't care that their cash is low. Markets are going to put them out of business. So if you get on a call and you have an opportunity to send that message, you have to understand in the beginning of that conversation, they're not going to want to hear it. So get it out quick. Get it out firmly. Once you get it out, don't let them talk you out of it because that's going to be the ultimate. They're going to come back at you and try to defend what they're doing and validate what they're doing. And you have to be firm and resolute and say, oh, you keep doing what you're doing. You're just going to go out of business. And you might not like that message. You might not like hearing it from me. And I have been fired as a coach. I've had franchisees go to leadership and ask for a different coach because of my style. But at the end of the day, because you're honest. Yeah, that's yeah. way to put it. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and we passed over it pretty quickly, but you said something that I, I think is one of the best gold nuggets we've heard in a year, which is successful people don't look for people to blame and they right. don't make excuses. They just identify the problem and tackle it. And yep. man, I, I in my experience in small business and in franchising, you just run into these people that can't get can't get out of their own way because they're just right. trying to find who who's who's to blame for my failure and it's a hundred percent you right. all and, you and sadly and this is you know i'm a i hope i don't hurt the feelings of some of friends that i know come from corporate backgrounds that's what corporations teach people hmm. you deflect blame you can't accept blame in a corporate job because you're gonna get fired you're gonna stand in front of the, your 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 leadership and say yeah that one's on me Right. So so you almost get it as a learned experience where you you're always trying to position yourself in a place where it's not your fault. And you can act like you're taking responsibility, but not really like it's you say, funny. well, marketing fell short, but I, I'll own it. Right. You didn't really own it. You just dumped it all on marketing and caveat it with. But, it, you know, I'll take care of it. And I think that's. Yeah. Hey, well, I'm just I, I can't wait to tell you this because uh, your military background, but it's the exact opposite of a, I went to a speech with Norman Schwarzkopf. And he was talking about success and leadership. And uh, next thing you know, I'm scrambling for a piece of paper and I'm in the audience. And one of the things he said that just always stuck with me is a great leader accepts the criticism and deflects the praise. Yep. And I'm like, man, here's the guy who just led, you know, the best invasion we've ever launched. Mm -hmm. But let's go back on the other side. He, he is, uh, he's actually going back to my, so I, I put this in my book. Oh, you have a book, Chris? Thank you. We haven't talked about that in what? <laughs> I know. An hour? At least 30 minutes. I'm way too long. So the book. That's why you have me here. Yeah. But uh, that's one of the reasons I made the leap. I looked at what I was doing. I had that job in the corner office, 400 people working for me. And I started looking. I had literally had 40 hours of meetings in a week. 40 hours of just meetings. Just meetings. And so I printed out that week and I started uh, coding them. And I coded them as... I'm either getting status or giving status or I'm covering my ass or covering my company, my, my group's ass. Mm -hmm. And that's all I would do. You're yeah. right. And if I ever sat up and went and, and, and trust me, we had a corporate psychologist and I was on his couch at least three times uh, because I was that guy. I was like, you're right. That's my group's fault. Uh, I'll take a hit and I'll do it. And you're like, you know, other people would say, you can't say that. I'm like, no, oh, no. you're right. No. I'm going to get fired. Good. Here we go. But it was just that entrepreneurial mindset. You're right. They condition you to say, no, 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 bring it down, bring it down, bring it down. Mm -hmm. You know what? It was their fault. You know what? It wasn't you, Chris. It was the corporation. You know, it was the, it was the environment. It was the, your leadership. And uh, you, you said it earlier, you, know, you got to be stubborn, discard bad ideas, go after new ones. I would say we're always problem solvers as entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, and one thing I learned about myself too is in corporate America, we're learned to be pessimistic or, you know, I'm a realist, you know, I just right. try to, but really I found that I was optimistic because I didn't have the franchise network. I went out there and blew it out on my own. And people have asked me how many times uh, have you ever thought about uh, 
just shutting it down. I said, Oh, three times. Oh yeah. I'll tell you all about them. <laughs> and, one of, and one of them was really flipping recent, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it. I get, I wake up some days. Uh, like I said, I, you know, I, I, I'm the chief operating officer of premium service brands, but I took on the pro lift in Charlottesville, uh, because I hate myself. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Masochist. You're right. that reminds me of like angels and demons, that guy who was like tightening the silici on his uh, leg, you know, oh, to make yeah. him, he goes, he goes, yeah, I just, I got, I got back into it because I hate myself. I'm like, yeah, obviously you do. All right, David, continue. We're, we're going to help but, you with but therapy. I, but, I, but I have that thought, like every now and again, I'll get on with like a prospective uh, franchise camp. If somebody's thinking about becoming a franchisee and they'll ask me, would you do it again? I'm like, I don't know. Ask me. If you ask me on Saturday, yeah, probably. But like day of the week, it's going to vary. You know, somebody quits unexpected. I got some customer who thinks I own something when I don't. A vendor sends me, um, a box of bibles instead of bottom seal for the garage door like those those things happen you can't explain them <laughs> you're just like why what you don't even sell bibles like why what <laughs> so so bibles don't stop water coming into your garage no there you go. i mean you can oh, try them I, i'm going to hell yeah you are hell <laughs> hell I don't, I don't know i guess maybe that's where the faith part kicks in but um oh dog that's awesome i could <laughs> just about i just can only see david right now <laughs> What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Bibles? I want was my tech. My tech goes up to the shop. I'm like, hey, that 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 special order bottom seals in. And he gets up there and he's like, there's no bottom seal here, but there's some Bibles. I'm like, are they trying to tell us we should pray for the bottom seal? Like, <laughs> I know the supply chain's a bit dicey right now, but I think resort to prayer is 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 you know not not not. Oh, ye of little faith, David. <laughs> right. Put your faith in him and he will provide. No, he will. no, not not when you're a business owner, bro, because either <laughs> yeah. you're gonna listen to this truth or the market's gonna tell you the truth. That's the yeah. thing I took away as the big nugget because that's that's the great one. Because if you showed up at your customer's house and said, So good news, um, we're gonna pray for them. Bad news <laughs> is I don't have your garage sale, but I'm gonna give you this free Bible and we're gonna we're gonna read out this passage. I mean, how quickly would that customer just take that Bible and just start beating you with it? With me, yeah, probably probably pretty quick. Pretty quick, yeah. I'm good. Uh, well, I'm certainly not going to get a five star review. I can assure you that. <laughs> <laughs> which is that? Which is going to heaven when we get five star yeah. reviews? Oh yeah, no, nothing better than when that thing comes across. You're like, oh my god, yes, another one. I did, yeah, right. How, yeah. how jacked up do you get? We're like, oh my god, let's go. I only get half as happy when I get a five star as angry I get when I get a one star. Bingo. And you get that one. And and there's no such thing. You know, what what happened to five? Um, we all grew up and we we all went to school. There are numbers between one and five. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Two, there is absolutely three. Say them with me. Four. Four. Right? Yeah. But nobody finds those. Mm -mm. One star. Well, I called them and they didn't call me back until I had to call them back in the morning. Um, okay, you called after hours. And then mm -hmm. they had the nerve to tell me they don't service my area. One star review. I'm like, <laughs> you know what this guy might service that area because i'm coming down and i'm gonna service know. that house right now i'll tell you the one that kills me is when they list the six things you did great the tech was professional on time was i felt no pressure to go at the work but the price was more than i expected one star like you just described <laughs> an absolutely stellar customer service yeah. experience you just didn't like the price for the value which is fine if you go to ruth's chris and you order a steak you may be a little shocked to find out what it costs right but you I mean, can it's at least four stars, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, four. right? Three. There's, I guess there's yeah. other numbers. <laughs> there, there are other numbers. There's <laughs> not. It's not just one five. Just one. one five. I can tell you, I will probably have a. You could probably insult my kids, and I'd have less of a reaction than if you sent me a one star review. I, 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 you. It's like one of the worst feelings. I, I, I will get so angry that I have to turn things off so I don't respond immediately, so I can bring that temperature back down. Good job, David. I've done, done the same thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking grabbing the earlobes. I'm wusa, wusa. I'm doing everything I've got, brother. Because, and then I'll sit there all night going, "I'm going to say this. You know yeah. what? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go find them. You know what? I'm going to kill their unborn children." What? Whoa, everything. whoa! Where are you everything. going? I'm. Yeah. It's it's two o'clock in the oh, morning. Oh, I'm yeah. deep and dark, bro. No, the I darkness will come out quickly. <laughs> See, I think it's good that you got a box of Bibles. Maybe you need one. Chris. I do need one. Yeah. Uh, so then I wake oh, up. Oh, I morning. definitely needed the whole box. <laughs> <laughs> there's the there's the gold nugget. Oh, That's I definitely right. needed. 
the whole box. And then you write that response. I'm sorry that you were not happy with our service, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry that our service did not live up to your expectations. So you keep it all professional because oh, that's yeah. what we know. You got to do that because the minute you strike back. Whoosh, oh, yeah, it doesn't work. It comes back. I think 10 you should show up work. with the tank. Are you sure that that was the one? Story? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm driving over in my vehicle. I uh, I have a tank. It's lifted two inches. That's right. I'm trying. I'm a redneck tanker. <laughs> so I'm a redneck tanker with my bullet. Are you sure about that one star? You want you want to run that one again? <laughs> let, let, let's let's talk about the value of this. Job. Hi, David. I help think, me I, understand. I think it was at least four star. Are you sure about four star? Okay, I think five. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Luckily, I got a lot of that out of out of my system back when we were on phone books and the only place they could complain was a better business bureau life was so much better back then isn't that fun now when somebody says i'm going to do the better business bureau <laughs> go ahead yeah knock yeah. yourself out yeah nobody's <laughs> looking just don't go anywhere else or they won't investigate your claim yeah. I, I, I gotta go completely off topic back to the tanks how much fun is it to pull the trigger and blow something up from a tank i will so and i'm I don't know. There, there may be a difference of opinion. The most fun weapon on the tank is a 50 cal. Oh. That is that is that is the gun of everybody wants to shoot the 50. Now, the main gun going off is amazing. The, the struggle with the Abrams is the armor is so thick on the front that you really don't hear the your gun going off. The tank next to you will shake you and rattle your fillings. But you shooting your gun, you just hear the the you, the, the cannon cycle. You don't really get the report. You just don't get the satisfaction. No, but it's but, not. It's, but you go up through the hatch, and then you're oh, on you, the fifty cal, and just hosing something down. That's got to be yeah, awesome. Yeah, that that that's that's a good. It shakes the tank. Sounds great. It's just, and it's a good rhythm. It's a dugga 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 dugga. <laughs> so it's got like a, it's got like it's just really, really crisp. <laughs> you may not be learning a thing about business, but we've you learned just, a lot about but, business. But I, but I am absolutely using this line because forget market's going to tell you the truth. I'm using dugga 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 dugga. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's got a it's got a very very appealing. Somebody would make a song about it and just have that beat in the background. Oh, I'm sure Chris will be TikToking it later. I will. Be. <laughs> I love the dugga dugga dugga. All right, so you do your stint with that. I'm gonna go back. To, it somewhat brings us back on the rails. I don't even know. That's College not my job. It's a little disorienting for you, isn't it? Chris? It is. I know. Usually, you're the one keeping me on the rails. But right. I want to go back to college hunts because um, I'm a big fan of watching the business model work here in Atlanta uh, specifically. I have a good friend who's a franchise owner here, Roger Panich. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, he runs an amazing business. Uh, he definitely buys into the franchise model. Also understands that the franchise isn't going to give him everything. He's got to go out and do his thing, and they're just helping mm-hmm. him get there. So you do that for three years, but you didn't stay. So no. what gives? So I got the uh, got the entrepreneurial hair again um and decided i was going to start my own garage door business and franchise it um and so i left hunks in uh 2018 and started a garage door business in florida and i was building it to franchise um about halfway through that year i was approached by uh premium service brands paul flick uh to take on the prolift brand as the brand lead um i did some quick math i realized i was uh 45 at the time and um it would take me five years to grow my business five years to grow the franchise or build the franchise, make it franchisable, and then five years to scale the franchise before it would be really worth anything to anyone. And um, that would mean I'd be 60 by the time I could take my foot off the gas. And, um, you know, that was some pretty harsh math. So I looked at the Prolift uh, brand. There were some good owners in it. It had some good bones. Um, I liked the premium service brands approach um, of having multiple home service brands that are very closely aligned that can be sister brands and share customer marketing. And share. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's amazing. So uh, I bought in, moved to Charlottesville, uh, rolled my garage door company into another one in Florida uh, for a small percentage ownership of the other business, and have been working on the ProLift. Uh, I was working on ProLift. Uh, Paul and leadership here were very happy with my progress. I became the VP of Operations overall brands. Um, and now I'm the chief operating officer. Um, and I believe our number of brands now is nine active brands, um, that are working with a couple of acquisitions in the pipeline. So, and, um, and they're all home services brands, all nine, all home services. Um, and the kind of the philosophy is, is, and you see this in, in the independent side too, you'll see a small business owner grow a specific trait, say, uh, windows. 
and they'll have this great business, these, this very deep customer base. So then they'll get into something else. Maybe they start doing cabinets or, or, or plumbing and they use all of the infrastructure that they've built and their deep customer base and all of their professional relationships. And that second line rapidly grows way faster than their, than their initial line because they don't have to learn all that stuff all over again. And they have this great customer base. You know, if they've been running a good company. They have probably a huge customer base that is very loyal to that brand. So it's really just about cross-branding into that new line. And so you see that happening um, in small businesses independently. So what premium service brands and brands like us are trying to do is you create a ecosystem where 80%, 90% of the model is brand agnostic, which is what most businesses are. The, the deliverable, what the service that the customer is experiencing is from a business owner's perspective, a small portion of all of the things that the owner has to has to manage, marketing, staffing, administration, supply chain management. That's the same whether you're ordering garage door parts or HVAC parts or plumbing parts, right? So that's kind of the mindset. And it's really exciting for someone like me because it really is kind of un unlimiting. Like the things that we can do and the number of businesses I can impact every day are, are enormous. So it's incredibly rewarding work. Um, and that's kind of, what really sucked me in. All right. So let's talk about getting sucked in because you got sucked okay. in, bro. So yeah. you made a financial decision, said, I can do this easier by going this way. And now right. you're the COO and you're the mm -hmm. one saying, give me status, cover your ass, give me more status. No, well, we've, we've, uh, we've, so we've your big really, corporate really now, David. Huh? <laughs> what? We, David's we have... big corporate. Yeah. You, you just went corporate on me, bro. Come on. No, I will tell you. Um, tell me, it, tell me you killed it. Tell me you did not. It's a corporate. struggle. We, we work really, really hard to, kill the things that drive that culture. Um, so we don't silo our, our, all of our resources are shared there. So with nine brands, the conventional logic is you have brand leadership, brand marketing resources, brand, and everything gets built in that silo. And then that group just works in their space. And then the game of Thrones kicks in and that's basically <laughs> what we're doing. Let's go. Um, now we're talking. <laughs> I'm oh, I'm house pro lift, you know, and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing my drag. I don't have a dragon. Mm. Shit, I'm a, I'm a garage door guy. Who has a dragon? Well, anybody have a dragon? To the wall, have a Chris. Yeah. So you work really hard to tear those walls down, and then the second thing you do is is you make uh, you make everybody cross dependent. So it's not just you. You can't be successful alone. Um, I have this. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of known for it in my organization. I just throw projects. I, I walk in a room with a bomb, I hand it to somebody and I say, good luck. And I walk out of the room <laughs> and like, you don't have the tools to disarm that thing yourself. You're going to have to go connect with other people in the organization. So there is no way for anyone in our organization to be independently successful. So if you try, you quickly isolate yourself. You lack the resources you need to be successful and then you fail. Um, we don't lead top down. Um, in fact, I don't give a whole lot of direction ever. Um, business challenges are assigned to people and they advocate, they, they um, corral resources, organize their own project. And what's interesting is they have to, if you can imagine yourself in this role, you have this project you're trying to get done and you're in my organization, you will come to me and say, I need more help. And I'm going to look at you and say, well, what do you need? You'll tell me, I say, okay, well, go ask that person for it. And they'll say, well, why don't you go tell them to give it to me? I'll be because like, I don't know what they're working on. Maybe it's more valuable for their project. So go ask them if you can have it. And if they say no, we'll have a meeting. We'll talk about it. We'll see what it takes to, to divvy up. But you basically end up creating strong relationships throughout the network, throughout the organization, because you want people to want to help you. And you want to, and in order to do that, guess what you have to do? You have to help them. So you end up, it, it's, it's a bit chaotic. It, uh, we, we are notoriously hard to onboard into as a new employee because uh, I'll get asked what the org chart is and I'll start white, drawing on a whiteboard and someone will call me out of the office. I'll walk back in and be like, okay, well that changed. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. But it is very fluid, very dynamic, um, very entrepreneurial. Um, our, our stakeholders are genuine. I, I have, I have employees that are one year out of college that are, handling massive major projects, um, uh, website relaunches, uh, whole marketing strategies, um, software deployments. So it's a bit scary, but I think I'm okay with it because of my background. If you're a small business owner, you know, you've rode that line for so long. I'm not afraid of it. It's like some guy who skydived with, you know, 4,000 times. Like if you could send him out of the plane with a parachute on fire. He'll figure it out on the way down. Like that's so just what I love about your management style, and I love uh, everything you just said, I just love that, is that you're doing all that. And then you said, 
you know what? I need a hobby. And uh, <laughs> you know what? Crochet. Yeah, fuck that. I'm going to uh, go uh, listen to music. Nah, I'm going to go start. My, I'm going to go buy into a franchise and do the pro lift. Because that's what you're doing right after we leave. Because yeah. you couldn't you couldn't stand yourself, could you? You had to go back out and do it because mm-hmm. you hate yourself. All right. I hate myself. Why are you doing it? Yeah, come on. Uh, no, I think the reason is is that my the leadership style I have. I don't. I'm not going to. I'm going to do the same thing in that organization that I'm doing in 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 the corporate side. I have four wonderful technicians that take incredible ownership over their schedule. They're highly collaborative. Um, so in a lot of organizations like this, a service organization, the techs will end up competing. My guys are 100% commission. They they are 20% of anything they sell and and install. So they tend to be very territorial, but our culture is so strong that they give each other work. If, if one tech sees the other tech is slow that day, he'll shoot a job over say, Hey, I got three jobs on. I'm probably going to get home late anyway. Why don't you take this job? They'll call each other for help. And it's interesting that you can build this highly competitive, but also highly collaborative organization where, but the, the, there's no sense that their success is coming at the expense of their colleagues. They're, they're not stealing that success from the other tech. If we're stealing it from anybody, we're taking it from the competition. That's how who we're going to go out and take. How do you from. instill that culture? I mean, that that's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I go back again, I'll point to it in the Marine Corps. That's how it is. That that's that's that esprit de corps. When you're in when you're in the tank and there's four guys like, you know, you're not necessarily you don't have the luxury of, of thinking of the world outside of that, that, that vehicle, like it's you guys and you're in the fight. And so a lot of the stuff that leads to that status, that hierarchy is just not functional. If a tank commander sees his role as a tyrannical leader, his crew's not going to fight well for him. If, if a driver is just not conforming or not doing a great job, that's the other crewmen are going to step in and, and, and make that, that, that driver's life a living hell on that tank. So I think you, you, you get there by, instilling it and i also think in this you guys will know this because you this is this has been tread on pretty heavily it's culture it's who you hire who you bring into the organization the the values you instill in them and and what they believe they're getting out of the organization so if you create a transactional workplace where they work because you pay them and if they stop working you stop paying them then you have a transactional everything's toxic everything's transactional well I, exactly. i'm not committed on saturday unless you pay me more but yeah. if you show them that this is not transactional. Um, I'll give an example. Uh, I a technician in Florida when I started durability and um, I hired him from a Marine Corps buddy. I was a wrestling coach. I reached out. I said, hey, look, my business is growing. I need a solid tech. I can train him, but I got to have somebody with integrity, character, value. Do you have any kids that are super good, but aren't able to go to college? And he had a young man who came from a, a family that you know was maybe not as economically well off as others and couldn't afford to go to, he, he was finished fifth in the state for wrestling, but he couldn't, he's getting scholarship offers, but he couldn't go away to school. So he's going to stay in town. So I met him up, great kid, great values, great integrity, because you have to have those things to be good at wrestling and brought him into the organization. And he was going to school at the local community college. And I told him, I said, if you, if your grades slip, I'm going to fire you. If you drop out of school, I'm going to fire you. And I made his college conditional on his employment. That doesn't value, that doesn't do a lot for me in the short term because I need him on service jobs. I need him going out and taking right. care of his But it meant something to him that I cared about him enough as a human to do that. So now when he looks at the business, he sees me and he cares about me in the same way. He cares about me and my business. He knows that this is not, I'm not some faraway person on a distant island somewhere just enjoying the fruits of his labor. I'm somebody there with him. I understand what he's going through. And I, and I kind of do the same thing in, in all the organizations is, you know, let people know that they matter. They're not just a number. It's the same reason why we got into small business is because we felt like a cog in the machine and we didn't like that. We wanted to get away from that. It, it, it just surprises me how many people flee that. And immediately rebuild it. Yeah. See? <laughs> to use a Bible reference. Amen. Yep. Go out and start all right. it all over again. It's the golden rule, Chris. Yeah. But take care of people. Yeah. But do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you not? Come on. Did you not 12 years ever of listen? education? That's all I <laughs> Ever? Got. Once? God, I blew it. No. No, we're doing great. All right. Let's get back to this. So I want <laughs> You know, I, big thing about culture for me is that you have culture in your company, whether you have it or you have culture, whether you know it or not, and right. you have to really identify where your culture is coming from, but it all starts with people. And that's the hard part because when you get into it, 
especially when you're first starting, you realize, oh, it's people, it's people. But you know what? It's also cash flow and it's also sales. And it's oh, also, yeah. man, what's going to happen tomorrow? And the next day, the next day, we wake up, we solve problems, and, and then you go back to it. It's, it's people. So you're in your position now and you're uh, working at the COO level. How are you um, changing your mantra with your with, with the franchise teams that you're working with? Tell me how you, you went from small business, you bring in that, but have you mm -hmm. changed some things as you got to that level? Because I found that too, as I scaled my business as a handyman remodeler, at this point, now I got 32 employees. I had to change my my methodology at six, at 10, at 15, and definitely different now at 32 right. on how I do it. I don't want to lose where I came from and I don't want to lose my culture, but talk a little bit about how you've scaled and got you know the position you are now and how you change. Yeah, I think um, in that there's a, a great book uh, called Teaming by Amy Edmondson. She's an author and a professor at Harvard Business School. Um, and she talks about the different types of um, business business challenges or business configurations. So you have highly creative and adaptive and dynamic work that needs to happen. These typically tend to be projects or challenges that are not permanent aspects of the business. So you're going to cobble together a team, you're going to solve that problem, and you're going to move on to the next thing. And then there are parts of your business that are what are considered production, where it's basically the, the it's somewhat repetitive. It's not entirely, I mean, we're in home services, it's always something crazy going on, but the aspect, the job is predictable, it's repetitive, it's going to go on for a long period of time. And you tend to create stable teams around those activities. Now, you can do that in a couple of ways. You can have crews that are really just permanently in that space. And then a separate group of humans that operate in that highly dynamic. Um, and I think at a large enough scale, you almost have to. Um, in a small business, I'd say anything less than, you know, 100 employees, you want to hire people who can operate in both spaces that gravitate towards one or the other. Um, but you're recognizing that some people are going to do well in that dynamic space. So you pull on them more often to work on those projects. And some people are going to be. Uh, a little bit more formal. They want a more structured workplace. And I think as a leader, um, either you or someone on your team has to be able to understand that that distinction in the person that you're working with. And it's not binary. People are all over the place on the spectrum. The more somebody leans into structure, the more, and I would say they're more of a conservative type, they're, they're, their nature tends to lean towards the right side of the political spectrum. They tend to be you know, they have routines, they go to the same place for breakfast every morning. Those you want to push more into the prod, into the uh, production side of your business. So where they, they're going to go to their strength. They're going to build consistent operations. They're going to um, hold accountability. They're going to be, uh, uh, you know, compliance officers for the most part. But you also have to recognize the people that struggle in that space and gravitate them towards projects and things that are highly engaging and dynamic and changing. And I think if you can do that, you can maintain the culture and scale. Um, and I think you see this even in, in super, uh, like, so like Google does something similar um, where uh, they, they, they recognize that there are different types of people for different types of roles and things of that nature. So I think you can do that. And a small business, um, certainly like anything under 100 employees, it's, it's, it's not as hard because, you know, if you, if you have 50, 55, 60 employees, that's going to seem like a lot. But if you are, um, if you're kind of following this, this you're going to start learning who those people are and be able to interact with them the way they want to be interacted with, and and that will filter down. And again, if you're if you're doing the recruiting and, and staffing right, your subordinate leadership should mirror a lot of your characteristics and traits. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Do do you guys use a tool to evaluate people? For example, here. At the trusted toolbox, I uh, everybody goes through the disk profile so I can see mm -hmm. kind of where they're sitting. Not a great hiring predicting tool as we've talked about in the past, but also, but it's very good for me in management style and communication style. Do you guys use a tool like that? I, I we've played with them. Um, I'm going to tell you it's not best answer, but uh, I'm not afraid of turnover in the right positions. Um, I think you you really can't get to know if somebody's going to be a culture fit until they're in your culture. And, you know, you, you hear this mantra, you know, hire slow, fire fast, um, I hire fast, fire fast. Like you, you, I can tell most of the leaders, most of the groups within a couple of weeks to a month, we'll get a pretty good sense if somebody's going to be a good culture fit or not. Um, we may move people around in the organization. And I think that's when I made the joke about the org chart. I think 
once you start building org charts, you you restrict that. Um, I find that if you bring a great person in the organization and you bring them in for a role that maybe isn't perfect fit, if they're great, they'll either migrate that role or, or modify that role into something they are great at, or they'll move into a different position in the company. You'll, you'll yeah, recognize that their skills are there. Yeah. The and Jim I think Collins you, concept, uh, yeah. you know, get the right people in and put them in the right seat. Right. Yeah. And I think you see that like in, in, in small businesses, it happens natively. Mm-hmm. And then we think, oh, I'm scaling. So let me stop doing that. Now I'm going to have a GM with a job description and responsibilities. And I think we get, we bring that constraint in as owners long before we actually need it. Because in the beginning, you're just hiring great people, trying to make it work. If you if your cousin is good at something, and you, you need that thing. You're going to bring them in and figure out the rest of it later. And I think when we get bigger, we we think the correct way to scale is to build these hard org charts with these hard roles and responsibilities. And we start doing those things. And it, it doesn't align with the culture that we've built in our organizations up to that point. And it's not even something that we're looking to do. So it's it's almost like we get cognitive dissonance because we're trying to create this structure now in an organization that we built to flee that structure because we don't know that there's a better way to scale. And we yeah. feel like the lack of structure is somehow incorrect for the business. Um, the other thing you have to be careful again, you guys know this is the panic hires. If you know that that'll <laughs> if you 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 always have to be recruiting and hiring. If you're if you're making hires when you need them, you're too late. Um well, I'm too late. Uh, because <laughs> I, I need handyman and for the love of God, I can't get him to come in anymore. But no, we're getting we're getting back on it. But yeah, I know what you mean. The panic hire is hard. Hey, do you uh yeah. bargain mirror? All right, let's give you a shot. Well, and that's what happens. I mean, again, you get into the same scenario where you're trying to scale your business, you need more people, so you you run behind on capacity. So now you just start compromising those hiring principles and you make bad hires and then you stick with them far too long. Um, and I do think we had this conversation today in my organization about recruiting. And I like to call it recruiting. I don't like to call it hiring. Um, if if you Nick Saban runs out the most vanilla playbook every year, I mean, run left, run right, run middle. It's the most watching an Alabama game is like watching paint dry. But he wins because his guys are bigger and they're faster. And so if you can recruit well, your business model may not be the best model. You may not have the best marketing plan. You may not have the best system. But if you have really talented, good people, they'll take that mediocre business and make it exceptional. And I think a lot of owners, myself included, we get a little comfortable with our team. You know, we, 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 we're doing well. The business is growing. We're not actively recruiting. We're not actively. I mean, think about it again. You know, New England Patriots won a Super Bowl. You know, Belichick isn't calling the talent department saying, Hey guys, take the season, take the winter off. We got the best team in football, right? They sit down the very next day, start watching game tape, figure out where their gaps are, where their holes are, who could be better. What's out there. Who can we bring in? That activity is how you keep your top performers performing at the top level. That's how you keep bringing good people in. Because if you, by the time you, if you're not doing that and your key person quits or has to move or, or something happens to them, now you do, you have to make that panic high. And you end up married to that person a lot longer than you'd want to be. So there's so many analogies I want to use, but I'm going to use a couple <laughs> of them. And then we're going to come back and we're going to start wrapping this stuff up a little bit. So if I was playing against Saban and he just said vanilla offense uh, with better players wins, I'm playing trick play after trick play. After, I'm, I'm hiding the football. Whatever I gotta do. I'm kidding. Statue I love, of Liberty. I, I, I'm doing Statue of Liberty. I'm playing this. I'm doing the, hey, what happened over there? Oh, where could it go? Uh, so... Do that. And that but, works. I mean, uh, you, but on you the Belichick it, but... side, this is the best one. He is best known for getting rid of a player a year before he's done. Yeah. He doesn't get the last year. He doesn't get the last two. And, you know, he gets the last good year, but he never gets the last bad year. He might list, he might lose one bad year or one good year, rather, and uh, get him away. So he always moves way quicker. And that's the hardest part as owners uh, for us because every, every consultant book out there, right, says, um, hire slowly. Um, yeah, <laughs> fire quickly. Yeah, no shit. Hey, welcome to uh, running a business, bro. You know what? I also have to, uh, to your point, I, I put that garage door in. I can get that brick mold up. I'm taking a oh, yeah. chance on this guy. So yeah. I'm doing it. I'll fire him tomorrow. But after he finishes his job. For sure. And and we've all been in that scenario where we held the guy or girl too long, that, that one week too long. Like we knew we needed to make that decision. We've been putting it off and put it off. And then yep. that thing happens and you're like, 
That's my that, fault. That just cost me. So it's got to be a big topic of conversation there in Charlottesville. You've got nine franchise brands. I'm assuming they're all labor dependent, labor intensive, and we're mm-hmm. in a super tight labor market. Yeah. So uh, what are you, how are you coaching your franchisees on how to navigate these treacherous waters? Um, it's, it, I mean, we're, it's the same headwinds as everybody else. I mean, it, it, there's no magic bullet, silver bullet that you're going to shoot at that and make it all go away. Um, you know, we coach the basics, uh, build good culture, give people a reason to want to work for you beyond a paycheck. Um, I, I think franchising specifically has opportunities that may be lacking in other opportunities in the market. So we try to lean into that. Um, I, the example I give is like me, I was a garage door tech. I started out on an F-150 with a bag of tools and a bunch of garage door parts. And now I'm the chief operating officer of a multi-brand franchise. Is everybody going to have that experience? No, but it exists. And I think for a lot of uh, employees out in the market, they're in a dead end job. They can't get a promotion. They're not going to ever grow where they are. And so you have to leverage that in your recruiting practices. I've always said the best employees are working somewhere. They're not looking for work. I, I rarely had to go look for a job in my career. Jobs have always found me. Right. Um, the hardest time I had, candidly, was when I left the garage business and and got the job at College Hunks because that was I was looking. But in every other case in my life, somebody came to me and said, I want to hire you. And I think if you're hiring what's available in the market to hire, you're always going to be in that lower 25 to 30% of the workforce. You're going to get the occasional gem that moved to your town or, or got so fed up where they used to be that they left. But overwhelmingly, it's just guys that get jobs. Last week, they were a drywaller. Three weeks before that, they were a pressure washer. Um, if you go out and, and you know honestly follow their trucks, I used to drive around and follow garage door trucks into the hardies right behind them and hand them my card look if you know anybody looking for a job you may call um you know and then have a culture that you get known for um uh, the one of my techs here in, in charlottesville that i just hired moved from richmond a different garage door company and he'd heard uh that we had the operation was growing and there was a great opportunity so he reached out to me through google my business and i think we forget that our reputations are not just for our customers how we treat our employees has a big impact on how we hire Yep. Especially if you're in the trades, like all these guys talk to each other. They all know everyone. Yeah. All right, David, we're coming to the end. Uh, but before I let you go, go ahead. Tell us how can we get a hold of you? How can people get involved in that franchise systems you guys have? Let us find out how to get to you. Sure. Uh, it's premium service brands. So you go to premiumservicebrands.com. Uh, my name is David Raymond. Uh, we have this clever email. I'm going to get so much spam. It's my first initial and my last name. So D Raymond at premiumservicebrands.com. Um, if you know that you've unlocked the cheat code to every human being that works in my organization, you <laughs> just need to know their first and last name. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, like I said, I own a ProLift. Uh, we have nine other brands um, and we're always looking for great business owners. Awesome. All right. But I can't let you go without asking the favorite three questions we ask everybody. Number one, what is the favorite feature of your house? And now that you're living in Charlottesville, what is the favorite feature of any house you were in? And don't tell me it's your garage door. If, um, you, if he gives us a garage door, we're hanging up right that's now. Right. Oh, we can't, uh, can we hang uh, up on a podcast? A little bit. We can shut the computer. He's not. I will tell that, you, uh, it's always been, well, up until Charlottesville, it's always been its proximity to saltwater. Um, and mm. uh, luckily, it, now I can say mountains. Uh, vineyards up here are beautiful. So as long as it's close to cool stuff, that's all I care about. Okay. All right. Number two. You go out there, you get customer service. What is a customer service pet peeve of yours? Because we are customer service freaks. You are right on it. Thank you, Alan. Ah, communication. Just, just talk to me. Call me. Tell me you know. Tell, call me when I when I when I when I book the appointment. Call me. When you're coming my way, call me. When you're sending me a receipt or an invoice, call me. Just call me. Even if I don't pick up, just call me. Text you me. Know, you know what email. I'm finding right now is that don't call me. Just text me. If sure. you text me, either way. Yeah, I just used this the other day. We're going back working on this. He is 88 years old. We're working on this guy's house. Uh, three years ago, my sales guy says, hey, we're running early for a sales appointment. I'm like, yeah, I'll call him. He goes, well, why don't you text him? I said, because he's 85, 83, you know, at the time. He goes, all right. So I, I text my 85-year-old customer. Coming early. Are you available? I get back. NP. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, and so, and so my dumbass goes, he's got some grandkids. He goes, no problem. Exactly right. like, oh, okay. So yeah. So call and text. Love he's that way one. Way cooler yep. than you. Just communicate. Yeah, I know. Exactly. He is way cooler than me, by the way, too. 
All right, number three, give us a DIY nightmare story. Oh, I'm in the garage door business. I've got blood and guts, man. We had a customer uh, try to replace his own springs. Every garage door guy has Ooh. this story. Um, and uh, that can, that can remove up. an arm. Yeah. The, okay. Yeah. He lost his thumb um, oh, and oh. not cleanly. Um, so when I arrived on the job, there was this, you know, you could see the blood right below where the spring is located down the door. And then you could follow it like a deer trail. Everywhere he stopped was a pool of blood. So you could see. He spent some time trying to find his finger as he's walking uh, around inside uh, the garage because you can see all the places he stopped to look. <laughs> oh my uh, god! Yeah. Oh my it was, god! It was the the worst. It was the worst. And you know, so it's the good news is this is coming out around Halloween, and this is going to be perfect. So, what are you going for for Halloween? I'm going to go for a guy who tried to change his own garage door spring. Where's my thumb? Where's my thumb? I lost my head. Oh my god! It's in my I head. I felt so bad. He answered the door to let me in, and he, you know, his hands all bandaged up, oh and blood kind of dried. But yeah, I mean, there's, he wasn't going to do it now. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my god, I love that, David. We've enjoyed this. This has been amazing. I love this uh, conversation. Go out there and check them out. We'll put the uh, show links out there for everybody. Small Business Safari, let's go make it happen. Keep going up that mountaintop of success. And we'll see you next time. Cheers. We're out of here. Thanks, David. Thanks, gentlemen.